Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 15, verse 7 says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is God's word. Chapter 14, which I didn't read, opened with the statement, welcome him in the church welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions how are we to do that we ask we love quarreling over opinions and he ends by saying welcome one another as christ has welcomed you what does it mean to welcome someone it means not just to say hi to them but to include them and draw them into your life to extend hospitality to them, to involve them in every part of the community. Welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed us. Now the book of Romans takes us and takes people on quite a journey. It begins with this gathering together of all these complex ideas about the creation and mankind pointing us to the gospel that the only way to be justified, that is to be approved of before God, the only way to be approved of before God is by putting your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came to rescue us. He then moves on to talk about some big discussions to do with the Jews and the Gentiles, the nations and the Jewish nation included together as one people. And then in the last few chapters, he talks about this new normal of how the church community is supposed to function together. He talks about what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls our life together and then that concludes, as we saw last week, with chapter 16, this beautiful emphasis on the partnership in the gospel. Genuine community 
And genuine spiritual family is not a static thing that we think, oh, we've done it, we've got a trophy, hurrah, move on. But it's something that's constantly growing, constantly shaping, constantly being affected by things, always having different challenges and threats to it, including the latest Shakespearean question of them all, to mask or not to mask, that is the question we're all wondering about. And we in the church need to not just celebrate what God is doing, but continue to prize and work hard for the things that God is doing among us as a community. Elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit or the bond of peace. Make every effort. And here in verse 19, pursue, pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding in the church. We have an enemy that would want to divide the church. Divide us into camps around different opinions. Convince you that you can't be in a church with people who are different from you. We have a sinful nature that is deeply selfish that would want everybody here to meet your needs all of the time and for you to feel completely justified in that. And we have a society that is struggling to work through how to love one another well. Make every effort we're to do that as a church as we approach the summer and beyond whatever it looks like with all of these complex questions of post-pandemic living and to mask or not to mask we're to make every effort not to express our personal freedoms we're to make every effort to fight for and hold on to the bond of peace and the unity of the spirit we're to pursue the things like an athlete we're going to watch lots of them pursuing working hard for four years for four years they train on christmas day pursuing a gold medal you as part of the people of god are called to pursue with that same kind of vigor what makes for mutual encouragement and upbuilding of the people around you it's not something you can do passively it's not something you can let the preacher do or the band do you and me if we're going to build and be part of the kind of people of God that we, we know is beautiful and we know is beautiful, if we're to build and be part of that, we're to pursue it in our own ways, in lots of different ways, however that looks. Now, the church, however, is not always, it might shock you to know this, it's not always a community of people that's known for its unity and for its tolerance of one another. Um, in fact, in 2015, an American actor named Emo Phillips had one of his jokes voted as the best religious joke of all time. Do you want to hear it? It's painfully close to the truth. <clears throat> a, man, a man was walking across a bridge and seeing a man standing on the edge, ready to jump, he ran over and said to him, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He said, well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious, he said. Yes, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? I'm a Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? I'm Baptist. Me too. Wow. Are you the Baptist Church of God or the Baptist Church of the Lord? I'm the Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you the original Baptist Church of God or Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Hallelujah. Are you the Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or are you the Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? His new friend replied, I'm the Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. To which the man replied, Die, heretic. And he pushed him off. 
painfully close to the truth. Because <laughs> so much that unites us, and yet the Judean People's Front insists on being different from the People's Front of Judea, and the popular People's Front are different altogether, for those who get the reference. So in these Bible verses, I want to look at two things. Uh, a principle that I think God, that Paul and God gives to the church to help us maintain and pursue peace, and also then some glue. So we're going to look at the guiding principle and the... Where's my... Huh, I deleted something that was of importance to me. <laughs> We're going to look at the, guide, the guiding principle and the gospel glue. There it is. The guiding principle is this. Next slide. It, whatever, that was powerful. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, is what the Apostle Paul says, which means you cannot make someone behave in the way that you think they ought to behave because as their conscience is not convinced, you're leading them to sin. But equally, it means that you must not force yourself to do things in the name of spirituality and looking, you know, like a proper Christian. Because if it's not coming from faith, the Apostle Paul says it's sin. Unless you're breaking a clear commandment of Scripture, whatever does not come from faith is sin, he says. And then we have the gospel glue. The thing that unites us together as a people is not that we all have children or we're all in our 20s or we're all retired. It's not that we all like to do this on a Sunday morning and some people like car boot sales. No, what unites us as a people more than anything else, the glue that holds the community together, he says, is, is found in this verse. In verse 13, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The glue that binds us is righteous, the righteousness of God, which means we've been approved by God in Christ. We've, it's gone. We have peace with one another and with God, and we have the joy of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, the treasures of the gospel, that's what unites us. Which means, so let's break those two things down. First of all, the principle. Anything that does not come from faith. Oh no, I know where it is. I did double-sided. <laughs> I'm too... <laughs> Too good for my own good sometimes. <laughs> when it comes to questions of conscience in the church and within any Christian religious community, in Paul's day, it was questions over whether or not you're allowed to eat meat that's been devoted to idols or whether or not you had to observe certain festivals, whether it made you a proper Christian or not. Navigating idol worship in general. When it comes to matters of conscience, the Apostle Paul says, the guiding principle is this, whatever doesn't come from faith is sin. And the thing that really glues us together isn't that we agree on everything. It's that the central pillar of the gospel is our glue. Look to Jesus and live. I've made a list of some questions um, that I think are modern day equivalents, things that every church and Christian that I know of has wondered about at one time or another or has disagreed with a Christian at one time or another to pose to you, to consider there's quite a lot of conscience issues or theological issues for us to think about. So, when Christians gather for worship, is the building that they meet in of any importance? Is it a holy sanctuary or is it just a meeting hall? People feel differently about that. When you enter a building that's used for worship like this, should you lower your voice in respect or should you raise it in celebration? Should there be any religious art or symbols on the walls around the building? Someone once 
inquired about attending the church when we met in the school, and I said we didn't have a cross on the wall, and so they refused to come. People feel strongly about these things. When we sing, what should we sing? Are we allowed to sing new songs, modern songs, songs from the heyday of the 1980s? Or should we rather just sing the Psalms, which people did up until only a couple of hundred years ago? In fact, I went to a conference last week and they were talking about how Isaac Watts ruined things. Because until Isaac Watts, who, who wrote that song, what's the song that we all sing, Isaac Watts? The, the cross song? Anyway, not the angry song, the song about the cross. Um, until Isaac Watts, we all sung the Psalms. How should we treat theological differences? Does unity require complete agreement? Or can we allow a difference of understanding on non-essential beliefs? Can a cessationist and a charismatic, if you know what they are, worship together? What about a Roman Catholic and a Protestant? Is a priest an ordained member of the clergy or merely a baptized member of the church? Should we vote for our leaders? Should we even have any leaders? Can you be an egalitarian in a church that is complementarian in structure? Or, and are we bipartite or tripartite, or does it really matter? What about pre-millennial, post-trib, no, sorry, pre-trib, post-trib, or amillennium? Is it a good thing or a bad thing if someone speaks in tongues on a Sunday morning? Should we prioritize mission among Jewish people? More importantly, what coffee should we serve on a Sunday morning? And are, are herbal teas okay? Those are questions, many of them pertaining to differences of how people understand some of the nuances in the book. What about some conscience questions of our day? It's not, we're not necessarily asking questions, should we eat meat that's offered to idols in worship? We're asking different questions a lot of the time. Are Christians allowed to gamble? What about buying stocks and shares? Or betting on a sporting event? What about betting on England to win the Euros? Maybe some bets are just wrong because of their stupidity. Is it okay to send sarcastic text messages to one of your German neighbours after you beat them in a football game, asking for a friend? Are Christians allowed to smoke? Would you feel judged if you did? Should we have a cigarette break, as one of my friends does during his church service each week? How much alcohol is too much for Christians to drink, or should we all be teetotalers? Are Christians allowed to swear? And if so, which words are okay and which words aren't? And who gets to decide? <laughs> Can Christians watch 18 certificate films? What about the Game of Thrones or The Exorcist or The Life of Brian? Is it okay to listen to death metal music? What about Christian death metal music? Is it non-Christian to use plastic straws or single-use coffee pods? What about flying in an aeroplane? Should Christians be vegetarians or is vegetarianism a demonic doctrine responsible um, for much ill in the world? Isn't a, in a society that seems overly concerned with people's safety, where my cinema sends me an email saying, <laughs> sorry, this isn't funny, this is, this is our age, and it's not, but it is slightly amusing. My cinema sent me an email saying, your safety is our priority. I thought, surely showing me good films is your priority. <laughs> You're a cinema. <laughs> Sorry, that one got me. Um, huh. Is it okay for churches to buck the trend and say, your safety isn't my priority, actually. You coming to know God is. That's much more important. Does it make me less or more spiritual if I want to celebrate Christmas? 
Is it ever acceptable for a Christian to live with their partner outside of marriage? Can you be a Christian and have strong pro-choice sympathies? What about anti-immigration? Can you be a Christian and insist on a nation closing its borders? And perhaps most importantly of all, can you handle being around people, being in the same church as people who hold different views to the above? When someone offends you, and let's be honest, right, offense is one of those words that's thrown around a lot at the moment, Sorry if I offended you. Here's an insight. I'm never offended. I can choose whether or not to take offense. (laughs) But when someone offends you, when you've chosen to take offense at what someone has done, do you avoid them? Do you have honest conversations with them about that? Do you forgive them? Or do you just decide never to speak to them again or talk about the issue for fear of confrontation? Will you put in the hard work and time and emotional discomfort that is needed to break out of your own bubble or echo chamber of domestic bliss? And will you instead inconvenience yourself long enough, serve others long enough, commit yourself, give long enough, attend long enough, belong long enough and deliberately enough to build a church that's worthy of the glory of Jesus? Or will we be just the sort of people who just swipe left when we see something we don't like, find somewhere else that does better coffee, and then complain about the preacher's jokes down the road? Those are the questions to consider, and I've used up all my time in asking them. Right. The guiding principle that the Apostle Paul uses, and you're just going to have to go away and discuss those questions over lunch, and then email John afterwards what you think. (laughs) But the guiding principle that the Apostle Paul offers is anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Which means two people can watch or do the same thing and one of them is in error and another is not. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul uh, joins the thoughts of of Romans 14 together and he says this, submit to one another in Ephesians 5, submit to one another. In other words, don't destroy each other's faith in the name of your personal freedom and choice. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The gospel is the glue that holds us together. The famous Victorian preacher, however, understood this. Um, The importance of recognizing and treating one another's consciences with respect. Charles Spurgeon of the late Victorian era, he was known to enjoy a cigar every so often. On one occasion, a member of his church said to him, Mr. Spurgeon, are you not aware that cigars are of the devil? To which he replied, I know, that's why I burn them. (laughs) (laughs) But then later, he walked past a shop, a local shop that had a sign outside the front bragging, saying, we sell cigars smoked by Mr. Spurgeon. When he saw that, he knew it would cause people a conscience problem, so from that day on, he never smoked a cigar. When the church focuses on non-essentials, when it it tries to knit itself together using a different type of glue, the glue of guitar or organ, the glue of charismatic life or the glue of conservative meditative life, when it uses a different type of glue to hold itself together other than the gospel, it ends up losing its power and ultimately undermining the gospel. So recently, Vincent van Gogh, uh, the artist, was born into a line of Dutch Reformed pastors. 
He trained as a pastor, but his call was rejected by his church elders. He then left and he moved to the Netherlands, where he went to. When, when, sorry, he then left the Netherlands and went to Belgium as an evangelist. And in a desire to reach the poor coal miners of his community, he became like them. He lived among them like Jesus did. But the missions board fired him for doing that, and they pronounced him unfit for the dignity of the priesthood because he was living among the poor. Van Gogh then went on to reject the God of the clergyman, but he never lost his appreciation for the presence of God in the world as he began to draw portraits of the miners and see God in the world outside of the church because the church, it seemed, had drawn lines and strict borders where it shouldn't have done. You see this in his, one of his famous paintings, Starry Night, which is just an array of color. There's a Dutch Reformed church here in the middle of the picture. Um, and apparently, I I'm, I'm don't know anything about art, but I'm told if that was to be removed, the painting itself wouldn't work. So it requires it for the, structurally for the painting to work. And yet, look, it's the only building in the picture without any lights on. His point was clear. The Spirit has left the church because of the way that they'd behaved because they'd insisted on trying to use a glue, or they'd drawn lines where they shouldn't have done, they ended up with a superficiality that, that ultimately robbed the gospel of its power. So in a lot of these difficult conscience questions, I think we do well to remember that guiding principle that anything that does not come from faith is sin, but then let's consider the glue as we close. The Apostle Paul says that the kingdom of God is not about these secondary issues. They ask that they're important, they matter, but they're, they're secondary ultimately because the kingdom of God is not a matter of what can I eat, what can I drink, how long's too long on my skirt, or too short, sorry, on my skirt. I don't wear skirts, I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of those things, but he says it's about righteousness being accepted by God. It's about peace with God. It's about joy in the life of the Holy Spirit. That is a, a spirit-soaked church, is a church that holds Jesus front and center. So that it's lovely that John launched today with three songs, um, with action, some of them, about Jesus. Jesus is the thing that we're here for. He's the one that we're here to worship. He's our hope. He's the reason that's brought us all together. It's his death and resurrection that's transformed history. We are living with the values we do as a country because of Jesus. His impact on the world can never be overstated. And he's our glue. And then the Apostle Paul says, with that glue, now each of us then is to live to please him. Making up our own minds about a lot of those important issues. All of us have been invited into a life of knowing and loving and living with God as our friend and our saviour. There is no greater, higher, richer, thicker, more exciting calling or destiny for any human being than this, to know God. And Jesus has made it possible. C.S. Lewis says that a friend is someone that you stand alongside, staring at the same object together, and say, you see that too? 
What unites two people is a shared appreciation of something. That's where friendship is born. That's where gospel family is born. Two people side by side, half the world away, with all kinds of differences, stare at the same Jesus and say, you see him too? His death is a death for me, for my sin. His life is a precious life in the world, in his people, in the world. The Spirit of God is at work. Do you see him the beauty and the wisdom of God in Christ. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, everybody saw him, but people made different, they made up their minds differently about what that meant. Some mocked him and jeered and said, he said he was a prophet. He's a prophet. If he's a prophet, he should get down from the cross and save himself. Others saw Jesus dying on the cross and instead, like the thief on the cross said, oh, remember me when you enter your father's kingdom. Others saw Jesus dying on the cross and saw his death was a death, not for his own sin, he'd done nothing wrong. His death was a death for your sin, for my sin. They looked at it and saw his death is a death for me because he has been killed and treated as a criminal. I can go free. And the church is every person around the world who looks at the cross and says his death is a death for me so that I can go free, so that I can be forgiven. I've had the privilege over the few years of being a Christian of traveling to lots of different countries and meeting Christians across the world with very different beliefs and practices about many of those conscience questions. But with each of them, there was a strong sense, and you'll know this, won't you? Strong sense of them being family, of being brothers and sisters, because we're united in blood. The blood of Christ unites us and makes us one. A church that is soaked in the Spirit and united together is not a church that agrees on every single thing. Hallelujah. You know, one of the most beautiful things about church is its diversity. But one of the hardest things about church and the most challenging things about church is its diversity. People of different ages and temperaments and political views, people from different cultures and backgrounds. But all of us find a unity in celebrating and savoring and seeing Jesus Christ. He is the one. And that glue is the glue that helps us navigate some of the important questions in the world. So as we finish the book of Romans as we head into our summer. As much as I started, I suppose, today by saying, oh, you're an amazing church. You're an amazing group of people that God has brought together, and you are. As much as we look and say, in all of this bittersweet sadness and joy, we look forwards and we say, Lord, to whatever you're calling us to do together as a community, would we prize Jesus and the gospel as the thing that unites us? Would we see in him a death for our sin? such that all of us can say, as a guiding principle, whatever doesn't come from faith is sin, which means you're free to serve God with your conscience, which means we can put up with differences and difference of opinions, even when people feel very strongly that we're wrong. We can love one another. We can work those things through because ultimately the thing that unites us is the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray.